Welcome to a Shot in the Arm podcast. I'm Ben Plumley, and we're here in New York recording um, in a fabulous new studio, and we're also connecting with Canada, and I'll come on to that in just a second. Now, we used to call the fall the flu season, and, you know, fairly um, uh, uncon- uncontroversially, uh, we'd be gently nudged to go and get our flu vaccine, our seasonal flu vaccine, no big deal. But then along came COVID. Um, and now, with the flu, with RSV, um, and an increasing awareness that we may need annual protection um, against emerging variants um, of SARS-CoV-2, the end of the fall has become the triple threat season. And in this episode, we're going to look at how COVID vaccines have evolved to be perhaps more closer to the uh, concept of a seasonable, seasonal uh, shot rather than uh, something that gives us long-term, lifetime, even protection. We're going to look at the front line of the COVID response around the world and how vaccine awareness helps and hinders and whether linking uh, COVID and the flu uh, actually enables uh, a more effective vaccination strategy more broadly. Um, and then there's no escaping it. We're going to have to cover some of the uh, misinformation and um, uh, confusion that still exists around COVID and, of course, the vaccine. Now, we've got a fantastic panel for us this afternoon in this recording. Our first guest is coming to us from Montreal with possibly the best uh, backdrop possible, Dr. <laughs> James Mansey, who is the Vice President of Medical Affairs for the United States for Moderna. James, welcome to A Shot in the Arm podcast. Thank you very much, Ben. I'm honored and privileged to be uh, joining you today. So tell us about your backdrop, this library. It's incredible. It, it was a, um, a pre-COVID work um, and uh, we, my wife and I and our family are uh, bibliophiles, and we finally said uh, we need a book. We need a bookcase to um, to house our books because the boxes were not cutting it any longer. Uh, and because my wife is a librarian, everything is sorted according to the Dewey Decimal System, which means I can't find anything. Of course. <laughs> and we are also joined here in the studio with um, the director of Advocates for the Prevention of uh, HIV in Africa. She's a friend of a Shot in the Arm podcast. She's a co-host, Yvette Raphael. Welcome back. Hi, thanks, Ben. And it's great to be here and uh, great to be in the studio again, recording with you, of course. Ah, well, thank you. So um, let's get down to it, shall we? Um this is the first, I think, real post-COVID pandemic flu season, right? We're in the endemic phase mm -hmm. of COVID. James, starting off with you, why should we be so focused on this as a triple threat? Uh, and is, in fact, the term threat the right word to use? Is it perhaps not an opportunity? Uh, I, I think the... Fall season is definitely where respiratory viruses start to increase in terms of the um, their their, uh, their uh, circulation within within the population. So I do think that perhaps 
in terms of the threat? Is there a threat of these uh, respiratory viruses from COVID to influenza to RSV um, increasing over the course of the next two, three months as we go into the fall and the, and the winter season? I believe that that would be um, a, an accurate way. We're all, we're, we're going to start, com uh, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, obviously coming indoors, congregating together, um, closing ourselves up. Uh, and, and so that's where the, the um, respiratory infectious diseases, those respiratory viruses start to increase. Um, I definitely do think this is the time to start talking um, about how we can, the awareness of uh, continuing awareness of COVID, increasing awareness of, of uh, influenza and RSV, uh, and of the prevention. Uh, this is the, the first season where we actually have three uh, vaccines for each of these respiratory infectious diseases. So it's, it's a prime opportunity to reset, inform, and raise the awareness and the confidence in both our healthcare professionals and the population. Yeah, and I think that mm -hmm. sense of opportunity is something we cannot lose sight of. Yvette, in South Africa, I mean, you're known, obviously, for your work in HIV, but you've also been on the front lines pushing greater awareness around COVID and indeed encouraging people to, to get their COVID vaccines when they've been available. Um, just what is the um, attitudes in South Africa towards vaccinations? What's the percentage of vaccination coverage? Uh, okay, Ben. So as you, as you've mentioned, you're going into fall, and we just come out of winter. And obviously, just post that South Africa had to prepare and plan for what is our first time out of uh, the epidemic. And uh, it was great to see South Africans just take up the information and the vaccination rates, as you know, uh, are very high. South Africans are getting vaccinated, but also it was that first time when people realized that like uh, like James said, I'm not in inside the house. I'm not covered, and we got flu for the first time because we didn't take all the concoctions and and all of those things precautions. And people were like, "Okay, now I remember. This is what flu is about." But what South Africa also did that was great is what our new our you know our vaccination campaign started just before that, and South Africans went back and got vaccinated for COVID and actually got their boosters. And that was easy to do for South Africans, but the misinformation is still there. So the uh, civil society had then to continue with some of the information that we did pre uh, during COVID as well. Mm. And and I, I I guess that gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? I mean, preparing for this um, episode, um, we were looking at the attitudes of the public health community, clinicians, community leaders, um, and wanted to really test out two trends that we're seeing coming out of uh, those conversations that we're having. The first is that there's a slight sense of anxiety that as COVID vaccines become part of the, the fabric of the routine seasonal um, vaccination strategy, um, given the complexity and the controversies that have uh, sadly followed this uh, pandemic, that might further put people off from seeking their annual um, injections. Um, the second, and, and, and perhaps it's not entirely a, a contradiction of the first trend, um, is that we have an opportunity here to reframe the public's approach and understanding to vaccinations. And in many ways, 
connecting COVID vaccines with flu vaccines, with RSV vaccines, we're able, we're able to normalize the, the, um, the sense of getting your, your, your vaccinations, whether you're going into winter or coming out of winter. <laughs> yes, I, th I think, Ben, from the South African point of view, what we also uh, got was how language is important. South Africans getting to understand immunization, the way as protecting themselves against something and not the vaccination trend that COVID left us with. So we do have a high population of people who actually get an immunization against flu in South Africa. So it was actually not that difficult for us. Uh -huh. James, how, what do you think here in the U.S.? I, I, I would agree um, with you, Ben. The, the anchoring COVID with influenza, influenza vaccines are updated annually because we keep up to date with the circulating uh, strains of influenza and you want to have your vaccine as the closest match. Well, the same that's happening right now with the COVID vaccines. We've updated the COVID vaccines just recently receiving the FDA approval and the uh, ACIP uh, recommendation for universal vaccination from six months and above. Why? Because the virus is, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is highly mutagenic. It's trying to find itself. It's evolving. The many mutations, the, 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 what, the good thing is that this updated vaccine is a good match. So as we have uh, an updated influenza vaccine uh, seasonally, annually, we now have an updated COVID vaccine. And putting them together in terms of optimizing your 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 immunization protection going into this high um, respiratory virus season of the fall and winter in the in the northern hemisphere in the United States. Get the get your uh, COVID vaccine when you come in for your flu vaccine. It it's just it, it makes a it makes common sense and it it associates that uh, seasonality or the preparedness protection. Just just before we move on to that. Um, preparedness question. Uh, you mentioned that the um, the latest um, uh, vaccine has been approved by the uh, FDA and the CDC has given its um, approval for incorporation and rollout. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Certainly. So um, th this is where the, the mRNA platform is so exciting because it was the from from the surveillance we have been seeing the evolution of the virus rapidly mutating on uh, on uh, over time so that with each mutation it becomes more fit uh, from evasion of the immune protection from either prior um, exposure infection or from the vaccine and so now we're beginning to see a larger population become becoming more and more susceptible particularly since it's been some time since they have been uh, last either exposed or or vaccinated and so there was a need to update that vaccine this the fda met um, mid-june um, to look at the surveillance and give their recommendations to manufacturers on what should be incorporated into the vaccine. Now, when you think about that, that meeting was in on um, mid-June. By end of August, the uh, and they, at that meeting, they had given the instructions or the information to the manufacturers. This is what the formulation, the composition, this is the variant of COVID that needs to be incorporated into the vaccine. Within eight to 10 weeks, eight to 10 weeks, tens of millions of doses 
were manufactured on this mRNA platform and, um, and following the FDA uh, authorization and the CDC uh, review and recommendation are now in the system for vaccination. That's remarkable. And that's the speed um, without compromising on quality nor on safety, ensuring that we can rapidly adjust and be not catching up to the, to the virus, not always being behind the virus, but getting ahead of the virus and ensuring that the population receive that uh, immune protection. And what, what, what we've seen, it's a good match to the variants and even that the, the, the cluster of subvariants are circulating. So um, we're, we're, we, we have a vaccine now that can protect against the current circulating and that cluster of circulating. That is really interesting, and I, I want to come back to the practicalities of rolling this out um, around the world uh, in, a, in a little while. Um, this podcast is really going to focus on COVID and incorporating the COVID vaccine into the, um, the, the seasonal approach to vaccinations, but maybe we should just touch a little bit on RSV. And uh, James, and I, I'm going to display my stupidity royally here. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but RSV, it's a, a respiratory uh, virus. We've finally got a vaccine for it um, that got approved um, this year. Um, it's a virus that particularly affects infants, um, the immunocompromised, and of course, if you're older, uh, the elderly, um, the senior members of our community. And um, in a way, that's not so controversial as the the um, uh, the questions of COVID and influenza. But have I got that right? Is that a, a, the correct descriptor of RSV? You, you, very good. Yes, absolutely. There, there's a significant burden associated with each of these respiratory infectious diseases. RSV is not, not um, uh, is, is one of those. It's, it's that triad of, as you mentioned at the onset, influenza, now COVID, and RSV have been circulating um, over the last um, couple of years. Um, the other component to this is those risk factors that put you at a higher risk for COVID-related morbidity and mortality are pretty much the same risk factors, age, comorbid conditions, as you would have for increasing your risk of RSV-related morbidity and mortality, um, especially in those older adults and in that younger population, and they're the same risk factors for influenza. Um, and that's why that triple threat is there, because these populations, individuals who are susceptible and at higher risk for one are the same individuals that will be at high risk for the others. And if you think that, oh, well, I'm a, a, a young, I wish. Uh, of course you are, James. <laughs> We're all teenagers here. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the invincible adult population, actually 75% of Americans, much like globally, have at least one risk factor or chronic condition or condition that put them at highest risk, higher risk for COVID-related morbidity and mortality. That's the same for RSV. That's the same for influenza, obesity, um, asthma, uh, diabetes, it, you name it. And, and if you have one, the chances are you're going to have another one. And with each with each, with each uh, additional comorbid condition um, increases your risk exponentially. So uh, you were spot on uh, with that. And, and I think it also reflects the importance of maintaining that understanding and that vigilance around um, immunization as, as a primary defense. 
Yvette, do you have you seen much RSV in South Africa? I mean, you you are particularly interested in young people and um, you know ensuring that um, the youngest get access to services. Um, as soon as possible. Is RSV on your uh, radar? No, not at all, Ben. And I was like uh, listening to you and James and I was like, okay, so South Africa, Africa has missed that. So it's not something that we have to be concerned about. Let us hope it stays that way. It it is an interesting point, isn't it, that um, uh, Africa, um, many of the countries in Africa have been able to approach vaccinations in a much more effective way than <laughs> countries in the uh, the northern hemisphere. I wanted to talk a bit about the uh, optics, the perceptions that relate to um, uh, COVID and the COVID vaccines. Um, as you know, a Shot in the Arm podcast is a project of the Global Listening Project. Um, we're actually working with Moderna to look at some of the perceptions that exist in many countries around the world, 70 countries around the world, on how uh, communities feel um, about trust in technology, trust in mRNA technology. And I've picked that word technology very carefully because what we've learned, and and this is something that our our co-founder Heidi Larson has, has really pushed, is that the word technology itself is a problem. And James, you referred earlier to the mRNA platform and just that sense of a platform rather than a technology that, you know, could potentially turn us into zombies or robots or what have you, <laughs> that, that that is actually a something we must really, really take care of. Yeah. I mean, if it, words really matter to you, how have you seen the dialogue around vaccinations and attention to COVID changed over these last few years? Yes, Ben, and and as I mentioned before, just the change in in, in language, vaccinations versus uh, immunizations, and how South Africa's, uh, you know, changed how they felt about it. But also, it's it's important to note that South South Africans are not... uh, I don't want to use the word stupid, but we do read. South Africans are not stupid. We do read, we understand. But the platforms where some of these uh, misinformations are spread on also reach our countries. But um, we've been able to to deal with that, and South Africans make up their own minds. And they uh, there's a very small number of South Africans who believe in this misconception, but most of the populations have embraced that because we understand what uh, uh, you know this means to a bigger population. I was with civil society last week, Friday, and I was just amazed how some of the comrades in, you know, civil society of the South African National AIDS Council really went out to teach their communities around these misconceptions. There was a lot of things, a few. I mean, the most heartbreaking one was when Eusebius died, Makaiza, and because he was so public about his own vaccination, everybody on these platforms went for him and that he died because he got the vaccination. And there was these South Africans who spoke out about it, that really it's not about it. Uh, we uh, People are, con- are going to die. And just because there was COVID doesn't mean that everybody's going to die of a vaccination. James, I mean, how do you see the uh, the U.S. particularly evolving in its attitudes and perceptions um, around COVID and the vaccine? 
um, then I remain optimistic. (laughs) 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 Uh, And I remain optimistic because um, the, as as Yvette said, risk perception um, uh, is, is not static. It's, it's very dynamic, and we've seen that in terms of, uh, I think, a good proxy or good uh, is is the um, acceptance and immunization risk throughout the pandemic, where at uh, the early stages of the pandemic, when we when when we were first rolling out these vaccines, um, my goodness, immunization rates of 90 percent across the board, mm-hmm. um, but then with each incremental. Um, update to the vaccine booster from the booster in the early stages to the bivalent, um, you saw progressive declining in vaccination rates. And I think this is a factor that, at that point, that is, um, it's multifaceted and it's informed by individuals' perceptions of their risk based on the knowledge and uh, understanding and most likely their misunderstanding around the disease, COVID, Uh, the confidence and trust in the government and the prevention guidelines, um, the um, uh, the misinformation that that and information that's circulating on the on the social media and sites, uh, it's fertile ground. But what does not change is the most trusted voice in an individual patient's journey through the healthcare system is their healthcare provider be it their pharmacist, be it a nurse practitioner, be it the physician themselves, be it the physician associate, and ensuring that we are able to deliver, and and to your opening point, now it's a good time to reset. Hey, you're coming in for your flu vaccine, get your COVID vaccine, and address, don't make it complicated, the, the, the power of a presumptive recommendation. You're here now, you're 65 years of age, you've got asthma, you're at a high risk for COVID and and influenza. We have the vaccine here. Let's roll up your sleeves and get it done now. And then listen and address the misinformation as it comes. I mean, we had this challenge, certainly in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area of California, where I'm from, where we we had a small cadre of nurses who, uh, to sort of contradict a little bit about what you're saying, James, were saying, oh, are you sure you want a COVID vaccine? I'm not going to get it. And um, it, it was a really tough one. And, um, y- you know, you can't take prescriptive action necessarily against these folks. But it was a real challenge. On the flip side, um, two parts of the Bay Area that, that really impressed me. The first um, is the Tenderloin, the poorest of the poor in San Francisco, with a very large homeless population and huge mental health issues. I'm the chair of the local community health center there. Our vaccination rates are the highest in the entire San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, 98, 99%. And so you cannot say, you know, oh, it's, you know, education, it's lack of services. These were really, these are really um, intentional, dedicated people. And the other piece that makes me giggle is that Marin County, which was ground zero for uh, the MMR vaccine hesitancy, skepticism that fed a lot of the um, anxiety at the start of the COVID phase, guess what? It is the second highest um, district for vaccination. So you can do things. It's, it is something, as you said, to be optimistic about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, that's 
Uh, can I have been? I think what I I learned and what made made it so eye opening for me last week was when a civil society member was explaining how the vaccinated saved South Africa, and that they made so much sense in saying it's because of the people that are vaccinated that we don't see those high rates in people. Uh, being sick and people getting into meetings and coming out and say, oh, there was, uh, you know, a high number of people who got COVID, but nobody got sick and nobody died. So for me, it's that education also carrying over to our communities and a person on the street being able to explain that. And if I could jump in then to your point, nobody approaches this um, from the perception or the, the the intention of being um, doing wrong. Everybody wants to do the right thing and and be be help to their society. So I think um, this is why I remain optimistic because um, vaccine confidence. Um, and I, I I don't like words in, using the word vaccine hesitancy because hesitancy denotes that it's more of a it's a negative vaccine confidence. Is, 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 is a modifiable behavior. And in the majority of the individuals, it's, it's simply an understanding and resetting that education and bringing some facts to bear, uh, shedding, shining the light on misinformation and disinformation and correcting that needle. It's an entirely, entirely modifiable event and everybody just wants to do what's right by, by their community and by their patients. And, and of course, I don't know why I'm saying this to both of you. Feel free to dive in and interrupt. I'm amazed it took us this long, actually, with you two. So <laughs> can we talk a bit about trust and technology? And um, I think from my personal experience with, with COVID, um, I've had it twice. I have long COVID, which means I forget words every now and then. It's not just old age, Yvette. And... Um, but I have this, so, so this is interesting. I have this, uh, do I indeed have a, um, a risk um, condition? I have Crohn's disease, an autoimmune disease, which basically means your immune system tries to beat up your insides, mostly your stomach and below, but also your eyes and your joints. And it has been really hard to get clarification from physicians from health authorities, from expert groups and patient groups around a clear sense of should someone with Crohn's, with active Crohn's, or being treated with um, immunizing uh, therapies, should they be prioritized for getting the vaccine? Now, in my case, it's a little bit academic now because I have turned 55. I know, surprising though that may seem, but for a lot of younger people with Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, it's really confusing. And I guess it speaks to the need for um, our public health community to provide information. Yes, it's going to change. Yes, it will evolve as the science evolves, but explain it clearly. And, and if we can't say yes or no, at least say so. Mm. What do you think, James? You, you've hit... Uh, on one of the most important, or a, a, a key point in the communication, keep it simple. Keep it simple and follow the guidelines. Are you in an at-risk population? The guidelines clearly say if you're in an at-risk population, you should be getting a, 
you should be up to date with your vaccines, COVID and influenza, come in at the same time and get them. Why? Because you have a higher risk of, of, of comorbidities, of, of, of mortality and morbidity. So I think the communications are, are essential and, and that they remain simple and clear and concise. Yeah, I, I, th- I think uh, James is right. Just just tell the communities the truth. Tell them what information they need to know. Let them make those decisions on whether to go or not or whether to see themselves as at risk and really not to force. You know, in South Africa, Ben, you're talking about some of your experiences. I think the worst thing is making a COVID vaccine something that allows you to, to travel, to go to work, or to get a job. And that is what makes people not like the vaccine. Their people need to make that decision for themselves and say, this is how I want to not only protect myself, but this is how I want to move forward with this uh, reality that we face, like you say, the triple disease. Yeah, triple threat. The triple the, threat, yes. Yeah. Tis the season of the triple threat. Um, so taking a step back and looking at the mRNA platform more broadly. James, what are you excited about? And, and I, I know Moderna can't go into details about what, what it is researching, but the platform has applicability for a range of conditions. Um, what's If you gaze into your crystal ball, what's exciting? I, I think it would be easier to say what's not exciting because <laughs> everything is exciting. Um, I joined Moderna by because of the prospect of this mRNA platform. Um, If there was one good thing that COVID brought um, was a a renaissance in vaccinology, um, that the mRNA platform really became one of the key technologies, key platforms to enabling a rapid development and and application of of a COVID vaccine. now, what, what excites me and where we're going with this, 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 this pla- mRNA platform is an information platform. Basically, we're able to take um, the, the sequence of the protein that we want to generate either an immune response or have a therapy for and um, create this, the, the, the um, mRNA that will code for that and use our own bodies in a, in a natural way. We, we're making mRNA and proteins on an ongoing basis naturally this is not foreign this is a natural use um and so where are we going well obviously we're continuing with our we have our respiratory infectious diseases covid we're continuing to optimize that covid vaccine um towards getting um more more uh, thermal stable um fridge uh, uh, fridge stable vaccine i'm going to come back to you on that in a, in a second yeah um influenza rsv on those same platform um we're, we're moving into latent viruses and and uh, uh, and other therapies like CMV. We mentioned RSV, the the uh, sorry EBV and um, varicella zoster, HIV, oncology. It's not just a vaccine; it's an individual neoantigenic therapy. Um, it's it's opening up a whole new um, lens into um, cancer re- re- resurgence and prevention. Um, and then rare diseases as well, those that were never able to under those conventional ther- uh, vaccine platforms to have um, therapies and vaccines. So it's, it's an amazing, and this isn't 20 years in the, in the future. This isn't 10 years in the future. This is in a couple of years then. 
So uh, it, it also makes me think about the the broader work that the G uh, Global Listening Project is doing around uh, perceptions. This seventy country study I, I spoke to you about it's it's funded by MacArthur, it's funded by uh, GlaxoSmithKline. There are components from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as well as as well as Moderna. There is, I think, coming out of this a real sense that a societal preparedness index is going to have to focus on that balance between knowledge and sentiment and finding the, the right language. And at the heart of it is a question of accessibility. And I know uh, if that, that's going to be really critical uh, to you and your, your community. James touched on you use some wonderful language there james and i uh, something to do with thermals um as in the covid vaccine doesn't need to wear quite so many thermals anymore i <laughs> but but tell us about that and then what that means of it from an access perspective well you know what we're trying to do is exactly that make this um more convenient more simple uh easier to administer. And part of that is the storage and handling. Um, so as we, as we um, in, evolve down our, our development, we're looking at optimizing the storage and stability of our vaccine and, and being able to have the COVID vaccine and our, our subsequent vaccines um, with a longer um, fridge, um, uh, be able to, to not require as much uh, time in, in freezer, but longer duration in, in the fridge and keeping that a little bit easier for the administration and the um, um, dissemination distribution of the vaccines across the networks. Because that has been a real challenge for us globally, hasn't it, Yvette? The, the really deep, chilled storage of the COVID vaccine has been uh, yes, and and obviously with Africa being so hot, so it was one of the things. Well, that, apart uh, from South Africa's winter. Yes, year. but <laughs> uh, naturally, it was one of the concerns when the COVID uh, vaccines had to be old, uh, you know, sent down to to South Africa. But it it, it was dealt with. But access is 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 one of the things we're looking at. We also need to look at the fact that how easy it would become for these countries to just keep these uh, these vaccines and administer it to, to the populations and the public. And uh, I know that, you know, we'll be coming back to these questions of access um, in future podcasts and what these new technologies mean. We've, you know, we're here at the uh, United Nations this week, a lot of focus on local ownership, local manufacture, regional engagement. And, and again, your company, uh, James Moderna, is definitely part of those conversations. But as we wrap up, my, my question for you both is, what is the one piece of advice you would give to a person who may be reluctant to get their shots this season? What would you say to them, Yvette? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's for me, it's basically just do it. Uh, <laughs> uh, did I just give props to somebody yeah, who Nike. makes... Mm -hmm. uh, okay, but I think the idea is learn and know as much as possible about the vaccines and, and get yourself vaccinated. You might just save your family and those around you and your own life, actually, because, uh, I mean, uh, vaccinations are not that bad. We all get it. <laughs> James. 
I, I would echo that. Word. I, we have to normalize vaccination. Um, and if you have concerns or questions, ask your trusted healthcare professional. Listen to the evidence um, and, and ask. Yeah, maybe don't ask some of the uh, health providers in Northern California. But anyway, that's a completely different, different question. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I would add to that, that I think um, the source of trust, the people who we trust, this is why it's so important to get yeah. the accurate information out there. Because in some, in many settings, it may not be your healthcare provider that you talk to. Yeah. It might be your aunt. Um, it might be your mother-in-law, uh, whoever it is. Um, and so we have to make sure that that is... Yeah, but then governments also have the responsibility to give out the correct information. Misinformation was one of the biggest things from our government. It was like somebody is controlling us to do this and we did not have to do it. So governments also needs to take the responsibility to send out the correct information on the correct and trusted channels. In South Africa, we have the SABC trusted, please, GTZ, please do that in, in those platforms. And people would trust their information more than hearing it from some of these. Uh, not so, yeah. Yeah, I hear. Well, of course, uh, I guess our challenge in the United States is the plethora of channels and um, sources of information. But uh, again, I think I'm with you, James. I, I feel optimistic. And, and I do think that incorporating COVID into the seasonal group of vaccines that we take is going to be the way forward. Um, and I just hope we stay three, four, five steps ahead of the virus as it uh, mutates very selectively and very opportunistically. Now, before we wrap up, have I missed anything? James, from your side, uh, anything that we haven't covered that we should have done? Um, I think we've touched everything, and I, I, I want to thank you, Ben, and that it's, it's been such a pleasure and honor uh, to, to participate on this podcast with you both and, and uh, to share some of our thoughts. I would just reiterate the importance of seeking facts and evidence to inform your decision-making um, and, uh, and to really approach this in terms of your own, the, the, the best way to keep yourself your family, your community, um, from the from healthy and and uh, um, reduce the risk of of um, of more severe outcomes. I think you've missed community. You've missed the role that our communities played and yeah. still play during these pandemics and when these outbreaks happening are happening. I think uh, let's give more attention for the next. Uh, pandemic with for community and understand and respect the role that they play oh yeah completely completely well thank you both very much this has been a really fascinating conversation well that's it for this episode thank you again to james and to yvette thanks to erica spera our director and producer from newsdoc media thanks to chad parisman our local new york producer our production coordinator is Waisha Raphael, and our intern is Will Lansdale. The a Shot in the Arm podcast is a project of the Global Listening Project. Have a great week and a safe week, everyone.